0: Welcome to extraterrestrial reality. You know, uh, I was thinking a lot recently about what it might be like should the Pentagon or somebody from the secret control group or somebody like the president of the United States or finally just comes clean about the reality that there's an extraterrestrial presence here on Earth and you you, you fantasize like how these things might go down like for for all we know it will probably probably be something like to the effect of just somebody from the military stepping up to a podium and not giving much information just acknowledging that there are apparent alien beings here on this planet where they're coming from they have no idea but there's no cause for alarm and just you should just move on with your life and uh you know maybe provide some documentation about what they they have learned like not not a lot of documentation just a little bit here and there that's how i think it would probably happen if if it is ever to happen like there's going to be a lot of questions that are going to come from the press and and everything else but i think if it really does happen it's they're not going to give a lot of information and and i don't think they're going to be completely truthful about everything they know uh, now, some of that would be understandable when you really think about it. For instance, any anything that they would have learned with the reverse engineering like of, of recovered craft, uh, recovered extraterrestrial craft, they're not going to share that. I'm, I'm certain of that. They, but why would they? I could understand that. But I, I think that they would probably most certainly try to sugarcoat it uh, when the time comes. I mean, it might become absolutely necessary at some point and uh that's that's going to be i mean if that were to happen i'd say if there's another you know actually today march 13th happens to be uh the 26th anniversary of the phoenix lights incident and in that happened that went downward in uh over the in phoenix and in, in the phoenix area back in 1997 of course and uh you know if something like that happens again like a lot of people realize this i've talked about i talk about it a lot and a lot of other people i hear other ufo researchers and people interested in in this subject talking about it a lot that if if there is ever again a phoenix lights incident or something similar that that's going to be the end game because of the the, the technology that we have now there's just going to be too i mean that when that incident happened there were thousands there was well over a thousand people witnesses just to, to that and of course uh, there were not many good images that were captured of this if it were to happen again though not only is it, are there going to be pictures some people are probably going to be live streaming uh uh incidents as they occur and so it's going to be it will be become a it w- it would make it necessary for somebody from the military perhaps the air force uh somebody maybe even the secret control group to finally step forward and announce their existence that they've been in existence for a long time and that they have been studying this secretly and that they Kept it like this because they could. They could say when it when it finally does happen, they could say that there were good reasons to keep this a secret, and, and there are. There, you know, you you could say that there were good reasons, especially early on. And nowadays, I think we're beyond that. It's time to. I think people of the world, or most people anyway, are, are ready to accept it. They could. They could deal with this. They could handle it. Now, I know. I believe that there are some people. Uh, definitely, the opinions of people back in the nineteen fifties in the 40s and 50s and probably 60s into the 70s was that you know this is going to cause chaos that that people shouldn't know this because it might i mean some people are going to freak out there's no question about it but at the same time we need to get beyond this we need to accept this reality and uh and i just when it does happen if the disclosure if uh uh a semi-hard disclosure were to finally happen, where somebody actually from Washington, from the secret control group, whether it's called Majestic 12 or whatever, were to step up to a podium and actually deliver the message that a lot of us have been waiting for, uh, for a long time, you know, there's going to be it's going to be an amazing time. At the same time, there's going to be a lot of fear. There will be some people who are going to be scared. Now, I think a lot of, a lot of us who believe in this already who who have our had who have had their own our, our own encounters right we're, we're going to be like well yeah like we told you you know no big deal you know i i've been living with this for a long time I, I understand that there's something here i'm okay and there's a lot of other people who are okay too i mean there's a lot of people who have researched this A lot of UFO researchers who had never had an encounter with any extraterrestrial. I mean, you look throughout the years, people like Stanton Friedman, the late Stanton Friedman, he never had an encounter. He never saw anything uh, extraterrestrial as far as he knew, but he still believed it because he did enough research to understand that there's something going on. I mean, there's all sorts of evidence, you know, you, you look at them physical trace evidence, the the abduction evidence, the testimony of all these different witnesses. So there's a lot of people who research this and understand that there's something here, but it didn't drive them insane. Of course, I mean, there's going to be people who will not want to accept the people, a lot of people, I would say, in the religious community, in certain religious communities, not the entire religious community. I think that there will be some of, we've talked about this before numerous times on the podcast, that will have trouble accepting this, though, who want to People who will want to believe that the human race is the only intelligent beings in the universe, the only intelligent beings that God created. There's going to be that kind of thing. But beyond that, I, I think most people, most religions, uh, a lot of religions, maybe not all of them, but a lot of religions will accept it, and uh, a lot of religious people will, you know, they'll figure out a way to, uh, you know, accept it. And we're going to move on. After time, you know, people get used to the idea, and it's not a big deal. It really isn't. I mean, it's out of our control. It's like anything that's out of our control. It's like weather. Weather's out of our control. We really can't control the weather. I mean, of course, I mean, some people could argue that, well, if uh, if we paid more attention to the climate and we did, did took measures to address Climate change, then maybe some of these hurricanes we've been getting wouldn't be as severe. I mean, okay, yeah, I get that, but for the most part, you can't control the weather. A tornado shows up, there's nothing you can do, right? It just shows up. You know, an earthquake happens, what are you going to do? It's an earthquake, it's out of our control. And it's the same thing with extraterrestrials, it's beyond our control. Um, And these beings, for for whatever reason, they're keeping secret about it i mean at the same in a way they're they're secretive and in a way they're not i mean in a way they're you know they keep their distance they're not it's not like they're making any uh landing in 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 a a highly populated city and and making an announcement or, or or anything like that but they do show themselves sometimes sometimes it seems like they want to show themselves it's almost as though it feels sometimes that they're just letting their presence known that they're trying to put on a show to get people, as almost as though they're trying to get the world used to the idea that there are others out there, and that they are looking at us and studying us. But yeah, there's most certainly something going on, and uh and it'd be interesting to see what will happen should that day ever come when somebody, somebody who's been in the government or what go- some government of the world but i would say in the united states i would believe that there is most certainly a major program that has been ongoing for over 75 years now studying this secretly and uh, it would be interesting how they're going to handle it once they finally decide to come clean about it so with that in mind i put you know using my imagination i i put something together in uh a a pretend speech a mock speech basically so this isn't real right (laughs) just so everyone's clear uh but this is a mock speech and this is if somebody from the government were to actually tell the truth this is what the truth would actually sound like now i do not believe that once disclosure comes right will sound anything like what i'm about to present here right but if they were to tell the truth I mean, and and here's another thing. I just keep in mind, some of the stuff that I put in here, it might not be exactly true because a lot of it uh, from my part is speculation, but it's possible if they were to tell the absolute truth, it would sound something like this. Anyway, here's for your listening enjoyment. Ladies and gentlemen, good morning. Today I am speaking publicly as a representative of the top secret Unidentified Anomalous Phenomena, or UAP, control group for the United States government called Majestic 12, or MJ-12 for short. I am here to report that the suspicions held by millions of Americans, as well as millions more from other nations across the world, that extraterrestrial beings are present on Earth and possess technology that far exceeds anything developed by humankind is an absolute fact. MJ-12 was formed by an executive order signed by former president Harry S. Truman in 1947 after the recovery of an extraterrestrial craft that had crashed in the desert outside of Roswell, New Mexico. In addition to recovering the craft, military personnel also recovered the bodies of three deceased alien creatures, along with one still-living alien being that died several months later, apparently from the results of injuries it incurred in the crash. Top military and scientific officials with top-secret security clearances briefed on the crash at the time, felt it necessary to keep the reality of the extraterrestrial presence from the public for fear of the panic that information could cause. It was determined in those early years that, in order to maintain the national security of the United States, as well as from potentially causing a worldwide societal collapse, more information needed to be compiled about these interstellar visitors before breaking this news to the public. By the early 1960s, MJ-12 had recovered several other extraterrestrial flying disks that had crashed within the continental United States and along the U.S. and Mexico border. Additionally, several other extraterrestrial craft with occupants had crashed in other countries throughout the world by this point. Since the mid-1950s, secret UAP control groups similar to the one established in the United States have been operating in a majority of the world's countries. A deputation of representatives from the U.S. and other nations have for decades been sharing information related to UAP and the occupants who control the craft. A series of executive orders signed by Truman and his predecessor, President Dwight D. Eisenhower, placed most of the power with regard to the secret study of extraterrestrial craft and their occupants nearly totally under the purview of MJ-12. The 12-member secret control panel was originally composed of mostly top Pentagon officials and scientists working for the U.S. government. Since the late 1950s, however, the makeup of the group has mostly been delegated to civilian scientists and bureaucrats who work for weapons manufacturers such as, among others, Lockheed Martin and Northrop Grumman. By giving a majority of control to the military-industrial complex, it became easier for the Pentagon to lie to Congress about the reality of extraterrestrials because the study had fallen under the command of wealthy political donors. For decades, civilian scientists working for weapons manufacturers have been engaged in a reverse engineering program of recovered alien craft. The purpose of this work is to develop weapons that exceed anything thus far created by humankind by hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years. Recovered extraterrestrial craft use anti-gravity technology that allows them to travel at incredible speeds and fly rings around the fastest jet conceived by humankind. The biggest reason for the 76-year cover-up has been to complete the engineering project, which to date has not yet netted any satisfactory results. The secondary reason for the long-standing cover-up is because many scientists and top military officials from across the world believe the public is incapable of dealing with the extraterrestrial reality. These men and women have concluded that, while they possess the intelligence to review the issues posed by the alien invaders, mostly everyone else is devoid of the necessary intellect to function on a day-to-day basis if presented with the facts. In other words, these officials believe their craniums house brains superior to the minds functioning inside the skulls of all other human beings, whom they view as tantamount to moronic apes. The United States military, meanwhile, has mostly served as bodyguard to MJ-12. Militaries across the world serve in similar capacities for their respective UFO control groups. Throughout the years, militaries have furnished false information to the public with regard to the phenomenon. For instance, after certain large-scale UFO events like the 1997 Phoenix Lights incident, the military lied to the press and public about what more than a thousand witnesses saw. Although it was in actuality a gigantic alien craft, U.S. Air Force officials operating under the instructions of the unelected officials sitting on the MJ-12 panel stated publicly that people only saw flares or fighter jets flying in formation. The military has also covered up UFO crash events, threatened some citizens to extraordinary UFO or alien events with death or imprisonment if they talk about their experiences publicly, and established a UFO and alien stigmatization program. The stigmatization program, which involved efforts to make witnesses to aliens and or their craft to appear as, among other things, lunatics, drunks, morons, drug addicts and hoaxers, has been largely successful mostly due to the news coverage of incompetent mainstream media outlets and phony proclamations issued by idiotic armchair UFO debunkers stigmatizing phenomena, proved to be a good persuader for many to stay quiet about what they experienced. As for the alien visitors, while UFO control groups of the world are aware of a multitude of different types, top secret scientific studies have not yet reached a full conclusion on why they are here. While it seems clear some of the aliens are here simply to study humans and other Earth life forms, others seem to be engaged in nefarious activities. The most prevalent alien species reported and recovered in crashes has been the so-called greys. The second most reported type are popularly referred to as reptilians. These two species appear to be asexual beings that are apparently mass-produced by other extraterrestrial creatures via an unknown genetic engineering process. The creators of greys and reptilians are the seldom-seen insect-like beings that look similar to praying mantises. The insectoid beings are using the others for menial labor, such as secretly abducting humans as part of an alien hybridization program. Research conducted in secret by scientists working for UFO control groups from across the world have reached agreement on the hypothesis posed by some civilian investigators, such as retired Temple University professor Dr. David M. Jacobs. They believe the insectoid aliens, over the course of an unknown period of time, have been in the process of creating alien-human hybrids for purposes unknown and sprinkling them into human society. These half-alien, half-human creatures, by all outward appearances, look just like human beings, but apparently possess the advanced abilities exhibited by the aliens. These abilities include, but are not limited to, telepathic communication, mind control, and enhanced learning function. While the world's secret control groups are aware that these alien hybrids are living among us, they have no way of identifying them or calculating their number. It has been suggested by some government scientists that the actions of the insectoid creatures seem to lean to a potential colonization of the planet. It is believed that behind the widely reported cattle mutilation phenomenon are the insectoid aliens cattle, and other animal mutilations have been reported by the press since the late 1960s. The incidents involving the sudden death of farm animals by unknown and unseen forces are marked by the removal of certain body parts via laser technology and the complete draining of blood. Autopsies performed on the bodies of deceased insectoids recovered from UFO crashes revealed that the beings apparently live on blood. On rare events throughout the decades, the remains of some humans have been discovered that apparently suffered the same fate as alien mutilated animals. Additionally, it is believed some aliens are responsible for a large percentage of the people who mysteriously vanish across the world every year. Finally, because no government of the world has yet been able to successfully reproduce a craft that exhibits the high level of technology found in extraterrestrial craft, no human invention possesses the ability to match these alien beings in a conflict. Furthermore, it is unknown how deeply alien hybrids have infiltrated society or, more importantly, the highest levels of world governments. If these beings are, in fact, planning to take control of the planet, The human race by itself has absolutely no way to prevent it. Thanks for joining me here today. Have a nice day. So there you go. Uh, Now, that's again, that's not real. Uh, So, you know, it's just what if somebody, I'm just putting that out there. This is what, if if somebody from the secret control group were to finally come clean, uh, if, if the decision was finally made and they decided, hey, you know what? Let's just tell them the whole truth. The whole truth might sound something like this. Right? It actually might even sound worse than this. If they were to tell the absolute whole truth, it might sound actually worse than what I just presented. It, but it's just again, it's a it's a pure fantasy on my behalf because I don't know if it's if it's ever going to happen. At least in my lifetime, I hope it does. Uh, there's been promises that we're getting there. We're getting close. But again, you know, recently we had some more grainy images that have been provide that have been leaked to Jeremy Corbell, and again, I like I said in the in, in previous podcast, it's not good enough. That's that's not good enough. That's not again. You're spinning your wheels with that kind of stuff. Uh, but again, I would it would be interesting to see if you know. It, it, I would love to see. I would put it this way. I would love to have something like what i just presented here happened i would love to see somebody from this secret control group stepping up you know and giving that that truthful announcement again i don't think that's how it would be i think it would be much shorter than this i don't think there would be a lot of real a lot of i don't think we would receive all the facts should this so somebody decide to finally you know end this i don't think we're going to get all the facts and again i think it would be sugar coated but if they were to give us all the facts it would sound something perhaps like what i presented there anyway we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to talk about a cloud that apparently engulfed an entire battalion of an entire regiment of british soldiers during world war one and then disappeared with them and they disappeared forever anyway we'll be right back Okay, we are back. Um, I've been recently going through one of uh, UFO investigator Jacques Vallée's books, Passport to Magonia. It was something that was published in 1969, and actually you could find it online and read it for free. It's on a website called the NationalArchive.org, and he has a lot of different cases listed in there, and I like going through it sometimes to see if there's something in, in there that I wasn't aware of. And there was an interesting case here that involved something that happened during World War 1 uh during the Battle of Gallipoli. And here it is. Uh now this was something 50 years after this battle. There was a certain battle that was going on in Gallipoli. Uh there was a there was a reunion of, of different of of the different soldiers and some of them were members of the Australian and New Zealand uh, military that, you know, were were they were part of this battle. And some members of this New Zealand Army Corps had witnessed, according to some witnesses, they actually signed an affidavit 50 years after the fact, that they had seen an entire regiment, British regiment, walking into this strange cloud. And then the crowd, cloud... And they disappeared inside the cloud, and then the cloud lifted off the ground and floated away along with these other similar-looking clouds. And uh, we're going to get into this whole insane, basically... This insane story. And here it is. This is what was listed in Jacques Vallée's book on page uh, 98 and 98, 99. It says here, Gallipoli, August 28, 1915. The following is an account of a strange incident that happened in the morning during the severest and final days of the fighting, which took place at Hill 60 or Subla Bay uh, involving the ANZAC the Anzac was a was a combination of Australian and New Zealand army personnel the day broke clear without a cloud in sight as any beautiful Mediterranean day could be expected to be the exception however was a number of perhaps six or eight loaf of bread shaped clouds all shaped exactly alike which were hovering over Hill sixty. It was noticed that in spite of a four or five mile an hour breeze from the south, these clouds did not alter their their position in any shape or form, nor did they drift away under the influence of the breeze. They were hovering at an elevation of about 60 degrees as seen from our observation point 500 feet up. Also stationary and resting on the ground right underneath this group of clouds was a similar cloud in shape measuring about 800 feet in length, 200 feet in height, and 200 feet in width. The cloud was absolutely dense, almost solid, solid looking in structure, and posi- positioned about 14 to 18 chains from the fighting in British-held territory. All this was observed by 22 men of Number 3 s- Section of Number 1 Field Company, NZE, including myself, from our trenches on Roderderon Spur, approximately 2,500 yards southwest of the cloud on the ground. Our vantage point was overlooking Hill 60 by about 300 feet. As it turned out later, this singular cloud was straddling a dry creek bed or sunken road, and we had a perfect view of the cloud's sides and ends as it rested on the ground. Its color was a light gray as was the color of the other clouds. A British regiment, the 1st 4th Norfolk, of several hundred men was then noticed marching up this sunken road or creek toward Hill 60. It appeared as though they were going to reinforce the troops at Hill 60. However, when they arrived at this cloud, they marched straight into it with with no hesitation, but no one ever came out to deploy and fight at Hill 60. About an hour later, after the last of the file had disappeared into it, this cloud very unobtrusively lifted off the ground and, like any fog or cloud, would, rose slowly until it joined the other similar clouds, which were mentioned in the beginning of this account. On viewing them again, they all looked alike, as peas in a pod. All this time, the group of clouds had been hovering in the same place, but as soon as the singular ground cloud had risen to their level, they all moved away northward, i.e. toward Bulgaria. In a matter of about three quarters of an hour, they had all disappeared from view. The regiment mentioned is posted as missing or wiped out, and on Turkey surrendering in 1918, the first thing Britain demanded of Turkey was the return of this regiment. Turkey replied that she had neither captured this regiment nor made contact with it and did not know that it had existed. A British regiment in 1914 19, through 1918 consisted of any number between 800 and 4,000 men. Those who observed this incident vouch for the fact that Turkey never captured that regiment nor made contact with it. We, the undersigned, although late in time, that is at the 50th Jubilee of the Anzac Landing, declare that the above described incident is true in every word. And it was signed by three different gentlemen that were part of the New Zealand. Uh, fighting force over there. They were sappers, which are basically military engineers. Sapper uh, Frederick Reichhardt, Sapper R. Nunes, and uh, J. L. Newman. Now, <clears throat> there, this has been something that's been talked about in different UFO books throughout the years since since the 60s, since this was first brought up. And now these guys believed this for 50 years that what they saw was they believed that they saw this cloud this strange cloud basically these guys walk into this strange cloud and that strange cloud rose up and those guys were gone and it joined these other strange clouds and they all looked alike now there was an article that was uh written by a ufo researcher a lot of you probably know him david m uh, david clark uh, dr david clark now this guy is a serious ufo researcher i mean this guy really leaves no stone unturned in the research that he conducts in fact This is the guy who last year, you know, finally dug up that picture of the Calvine UFO that was shot. One of the images, anyway, of the Calvine UFO that was shot in the early 1990s uh, in, uh, I believe, the Scottish Highlands. And uh, he he put an article together about this vanishing regiment. uh, And he argues in this very long article, I'm not going to read this entire thing, but I'm going to go through some sections of it. Uh, basically here's what he basically his argument in, in in a nutshell is that these guys were confused there was actually they were confused with the date for one thing they say that the date that this happened was uh the 28th of August 1915 okay but really uh but but the, he's arguing that there the, what the, the only uh regiment that really disappeared was two weeks earlier on August 12th 1915 where this british uh, regiment walked into basically Turkish gunfire and they're basically annihilated. They they disappeared into some some woods and they never returned. And and he thinks that these people who saw this cloud, who sa- said they saw this cloud envelop these soldiers <clears throat> on August twenty eighth, were actually mixed up and they actually were talking about uh, uh, soldiers who were killed and were never seen again that were killed on the twenty uh, or the twelfth of August. But another researcher, according to Clark, had discovered that actually the cloud was actually the, this strange mist that, that people had reported was actually seen not on the 28th, but actually the 21st okay so 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 these guys had the date mixed up apparently so in addition they also over over time they they, he believes that the story was embellished and that basically they got it mixed up they saw this cloud they saw these soldiers this regiment this british regiment walking into the cloud and then the cloud rising up and those the soldiers were, were gone they were no longer there basically hundreds of of people were no longer there and they disappeared So so that's how they believed this for fifty years. But they, these guys, these soldiers, these soldiers from New Zealand, had seen this with their own eyes. That's what they said they saw. But again, Clark believes that over the years, what happened is that they made a mistake. That it was actually they they put a couple of different incidents together. They put the incident regarding the cloud together that they saw, and they also put put the incident of this uh, of these soldiers who were killed, who were massacred uh, a week earlier in a different. Uh, incident near the same area. <clears throat> but anyway, I'm going to go through some of the uh, article here. It says, uh, and I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's very long, but I really suggest that you check this out. Now, I just want to say something about uh, Clark. I mean, this guy is like, okay, for <laughs> what's interesting, I find interesting about him is that he doesn't, he hasn't seen enough evidence yet in his life, He's he, and he's been researching this apparently for a long time now. He does not believe that there's alien beings here. He doesn't believe in extraterrestrials. I I know I've seen that statement last year when he was talking about the Calvine UFO image. Uh, He doesn't believe in it, but he does... But unlike a debunker who... Debunkers, usually, they don't do any kind of research. Not... No, this guy, I don't consider him a a debunker. I consider him a serious researcher. And he might be right with what he's saying, but I do have some arguments about what he's saying, too. And I'll get into all of that. But anyway, here's what he said. I'm not going to read this whole thing because it's very, very involved. uh, But I do recommend that uh, if you get a chance... I will leave the link for this article. It's, It's worth your time. It is worth your time to read it. Uh... He says here, The link between the disappearance of the soldiers and UFOs emerged not, as many believe, during the war itself, but in 1965, on the 50th anniversary of the Allied assault on the Gallipoli Peninsula. It was during a reunion of veterans who took part in the campaign that three former sappers, from the New Zealand Expeditionary Force described a strange incident they observed during the most severe fighting at Savla Bay. Also in attendance was a ufologist, Gordon Tuckey, who felt the story was so interesting it should be recorded for, for posterity. Of the three, Frederick Reichart signed a statement that declared how... Now, again, it was more than just Frederick Reichart. He's mistake uh, Now... Clark is mistaken here because the statement that I saw was signed by three different people, including Reichardt. So it says, Of the three, Frederick Reichardt signed a statement that declared how, on a morning he identified as 28 August 1915, they saw six or eight odd-looking loaf of bread-shaped clouds, light gray in color, and all exactly alike, hovering in the sky above a position known as Hill 60, held by the Turks. At the time, the men were in trenches on Rodeur- drum Spur, that was 300 feet above the fighting around the hill as they watched the peculiar looking clouds as they watched the peculiar looking clouds remained perfectly still and never changed position despite the presence of a prevailing wind beneath them was another cloud more dense and solid looking that appeared to be 800 feet in length and 200 feet high it appeared to be straddling a dry creek bed or sunken road from a distance about of about of around 2500 yards the men then saw what appeared to be an entire british regiment marching up the sunken road that led through the valley directly toward hill 60 uh we're going to skip ahead here because he gives he talks about the statement which I just read here um, see in this statement though here they're, they're, in the original statement if you they're, they're, he, in this statement here it's saying 400 to 800 men uh, a, that a British regiment had 400 to 800 men but in this in in the article that was uh, published by the, the piece that was published by Jacques valet <clears throat> it was saying it was up to 4, thousand men so somebody's made a mistake there so I'm seeing some mistakes here so the one thing that that he says that they did make a mistake in was the fact that there was no uh he this uh these witnesses said that that these this regiment was part of the first fourth, but there was no first fourth according to uh Clark here and Clark says in fact the first fourth was actually a battalion of the Norfolk regiment and consisted of 266 officers and men this was just the first air to creep in the story that was soon to puzzle and fascinate ufologists across the world Reichardt's statement first appeared in a small circulation ufo magazine called space view published in New Zealand uh <clears throat> Another more sensational version attributed to 22 ey- eyewitnesses from the ANZAC forces. Again, the ANZAC forces was a combination of Australian and, and New Zealand military fighters. was published by Brad Steiger in a paperback book called Strangers from the Skies, published in 1966. A more detailed account was published in Flying Saucers or Hostile by the same author in 1967. In this account, the Sapper's statement was corroborated by an ex- extract extract from an official history of the Gallipoli campaign, which which the authors claimed confirmed the Norfolk's were swallowed up by an unseasonable fog. It said the fog had reflected the sun's ray in such a way that artillery observers were dazzled by it and were unable to fire in support of the infantry. During the late 1960s, the mystery of the Vanishing Regiment began to capture the imagination of UFO writers both in Britain and America who were collecting evidence of cases where it was believed humans had been abducted by extraterrestrials. During the years that followed the story, was frequently repu- the story was frequently republished with new details added or others taken away to make it a better read and during this process the account became so distorted it was difficult to reconcile it with the original virgin- version which had appeared in Space View. In some of the new versions the mysterious cloud became a giant cross and in another the whole incident was relocated from Subla Bay in Turkey to Ovla Bay in Australia. Now again, we, we we have the original statement here that was published, that appeared uh, in Jacques Vallée's book, Passport to Magonia, and it was the statement that was signed by Reichert and the two other guys. So that statement, the one that I read originally, that's what we're going by here for this story. But again, apparently there was other people, according to Clark here, that were putting out stories and... You know where they got this additional information you know who knows maybe they made it up maybe there were errors i mean who knows maybe they talked to some of the witnesses again and they got some additional stuff who really knows but it's not really explained in this article anyway continuing it says the most popular theory remained that the men had been kidnapped by a ufo hidden within the mysterious cloud that was seen by the new zealand soldiers this idea was a personal favorite of the veteran ufologist and author brinsley lapore trench or lord clankerty who included it in his book, Mysterious Visitors, published in 1973. The UFO link was also promoted by the French computer scientist, Dr. Jacques Vallée, who listed the vanished regiment in a catalog of close encounters with flying saucers that was published as an appendix to his book, Passport to Mangonia, in 1969. Now, that's a mistake. It was not just a... It w- the, this this does appear this this little incident does appear as in the appendix to passport to magonia but it also appears earlier on where he talks about it, it appears where it's actually part of the broader discussion that's uh, discussed throughout the of the book of, you know of the book proper and then in the back there's an appendix that has a whole bunch of cases again and that one's listed again in a small little paragraph so that's a mistake on Clark's part. But anyway, so what was it that the three New Zealand soldiers saw that fateful day in 1915? Did UFOs or mysterious aerial phenomena really play a play a part in the disappearance of a battalion of British soldiers at Gallipoli? And if that was the case, which battalion was it and what really happened to them? To them? Despite the confusion that has surrounded these events for decades, it is now possible to use primary documents, including the war diaries of the soldiers involved in the campaigns, In the campaign to discover the truth. Firstly, it is necessary to understand the historical background to the Gallipoli campaign. This was a second front opened by the English and French forces in an attempt to break the deadlock on the Western Front and to relieve pressure (coughs) on their ally Russia, whose forces were suffering setbacks on the Eastern Front. Uh, The campaign was fought by the Allies to control the Dardanelles, which is a narrow 40-mile channel connecting the Mediterranean with with the Black Sea. The Gallipoli Peninsula, through which the channel ran, was controlled by Turkey, which in 1915 was allied to Germany. The Allied plan was to relieve pressure on Russia by landing troops on the peninsula to capture Constantinople and then force Turkey out of the war. The landings in April were preceded by a naval bombardment and at first it seemed the plan might succeed. However, hesitation and bad judgment on the part of the Allies, combined with stubborn resistance by the Turks, led to more stalemate and appalling loss of life. Among the hundreds of thousands of Allied troops sent to Gallipoli were two battalions of the Royal Norfolk Regiment, the 1st 4th and the 1st 5th, the former being wrongly referred to as a regiment in Reichardt's statement. Okay, that's let's just stop there for a second. So, you know... Reichardt said something else and uh he 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 was really referring to when he really was talking about the first fourth okay so yeah he made a mistake in 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 the battalion I i don't think that should be a big big issue here but anyway continuing It says, the Norfolks Norfolk's left Liverpool aboard the SS Aquitania on 29 July and arrived at Subla Bay in Gallipoli on 10 August 1915. Just two days later, the 1st 5th Battalion were ordered to clear Turkish positions on the Antarctic. Anafarta Plain. Prior to the Allied advance, their sister battalion, the First Fourth, waited in reserve and were not involved in the events that followed. The outcome was typical of the poor planning which characterized the whole campaign. The attack was to be made in daylight without adam- adequate maps against the well-prepared Turks, who were firmly dug in along a ridge of hills overlooking the bay. The enemy were armed with machine guns and supported by dozens of snipers, many of them teenage girls, camouflaged and hidden in trees. The Norfolk Battalion was made up of 16 officers and 250 men and was led by a veteran of the campaign in the Sudan, Lieutenant, Lieutenant Colonel Sir Horace Proctor Beauchamp. As they left their positions, the 1st 5th Battalion were joined by hundreds of other British soldiers from battalions of the Suffolk Suffolk and Hampshire regiments. The the attack quickly turned into a massacre. For some reason, during the advance, the Norfolks turned slightly to the right, opening up a gap between them and the other British troops from whom they had become separated. As the exhausted Norfolks fixed bayonets and prepared to charge the Turkish positions on the Kavak-Tepe Ridge, they were picked off by snipers and mown down by machine gun fire. Lieutenant Colonel Beauchamp was last seen leading his doomed men into a burning forest from which they never emerged. As night fell, the few survivors, wounded and exhausted, began to filter back to the British positions at Sovla Bay. The Battalion War Diary held at the National Archive records the following under the date 12 August 1915 excuse me 12 august 1915 it says 163rd brigade became a front made a frontal attack on strong turkish position fifth norfolk's on right met a strong opposition and suffered heavily lost 22 officers and about 350 men held our lines during the night in spite of heavy enemy fire so basically i'm just going to stop there i'm not i'm going to skip through this so basically he's saying that that these people who saw this cloud later on in August were had, were mistake made a mistake that they actually they, they put two different events together in their minds because this regiment basically got massacred and basically disappeared they, they, the last scene running into a burning forest so uh, so later on a, a, a week a couple of weeks later or the on the 21st or whatever when it was later on, so they put they combined these two incidents they combined the cloud with the dis, with the murder and disappearance of all these other soldiers in that regiment but anyway we're going to skip ahead here again this is a very long article and very involved article and uh, I do recommend you checking it out Oh uh, Anyway, continuing, we're skipping ahead here further. It says here, from 1965, when the New Zealand soldiers first spoke publicly about the events they had witnessed, the story of the vanishing regiment would not go away. A decade after the story appeared in the UFO press, the British Ministry of Defense and the Imperial War Museum began receiving letters asking for official confirmation of what appeared to be a mass kidnapping by extraterrestrials. Okay, skipping ahead here, it says, Quite clearly, if any British battalion could be described as having vanished, it was the 1st 4th Sister Battalion, the 1st 5th, who, as we have seen, were wiped out in the attack on Turkish positions on 12 August 1915. These were the men referred to, in a dispatch as having charged into a forest and never to be seen again. But why would the Anzac soldiers make fundamental errors such as the name of the battalion and the date of the event they witnessed? The answer lies in the fact that half a century separated the events and 1965 when Reichart first made a statement to ufologists. His original account refers not to 12 August, but to 28 August 1915. But he did not keep a diary and accepted the date was a guess because I lost count of time during that week of severe fighting. Furthermore, historian Nigel McCreary points out that the sappers were over four and a half miles from the attack on 12 August, and even with binoculars, their power of observation must have been phenomenal if they could see through the dust and conditions of a major battle and identify the units taking part in the attack. McCreary concluded the Anzac soldiers had not invented their story, but were describing something that happened during a completely different action that happened not on 12 or 28 August, but on 21 August 1915. This date marked the opening of a massive Allied attack upon Turkish positions on Hill 60, involving 3,000 Allied soldiers. The involvement of Hill 60 does in fact sit more comfortably with Reichardt's description, as the sappers did have a clear view of this objective from their positions. The battle to capture Hill 60 from the Turks continued for a week and again ended in confusion and disaster. Sir John Milbank, V.C., who led the Sherwood Rangers into the attack, could not see the Turks because of a thick, pearly mist which hid them, but the enemy could see the advancing allies plainly. Of the many casualties in the slaughter that followed, followed, Milbank was killed, and few of the Allied force survived to tell the tale. Was this pearly mist, the mysterious cloud witnessed by the Anzac sappers, from their trenches? Another... Well, okay, let's just stop here for a second. Okay, so... So this is basically what happened, okay? These New Zealand soldiers in 1965 say that on on August 28, 1915, they were on this hill watching this British regiment walk into a cloud they never came out of the cloud, and then the cloud lifted off the ground and joined these other similar-looking clouds, and then they all floated away, and the regiment had disappeared, and nobody ever knew what happened to them. So basically what they're saying here, what Clark and other researchers are basically putting together here, is that uh, the, the incident with the cloud was not on the 28th of August, but rather on the 21st of August, right? And they, and they combined another incident where a whole bunch of soldiers from a different British regiment were, were slaughtered on uh, August 12th. And they put those those they combine those two things things together, and this is the, this is the story that came out fifty years later that 's what they 're saying but anyway let 's continue what he what, what he writes here. He says another clue to emerge was the testimony of another New Zealand soldier, Gerald Wild, who wrote to Spaceview in one thousand nine hundred and sixty six Wild witnessed the attack on hill sixty but not but did not see any mysterious clouds. However, however, he did remember how after the fighting died down, there was a persistent rumor that a company of Sherwood foresters completely disappeared in a cloud of smoke and apparently no trace of them was ever found. Was this the same rumor overheard by Reichert that he and his fellow sappers connected with the disappearance of the first fourth Norfo- Norfolk's? The final answer can be found in a report compiled by a Royal Commission on Gallipoli appointed by the British government during the war. This was completed in 1916, but the report was kept secret, and the full version was not released at the public record office until 1965. This was the 50th anniversary of the campaign in the same year in which Reichart's made his statements to Spaceview. Could this really be a coincidence? Intriguingly, contained in the report is Sir Ian Hamilton's final dispatch, and on the page facing his account of the first fifth Norfolk's disappearance is a paragraph which reads, by some freak of nature, Suvla Bay and Plain were wrapped in a strange mist on the afternoon of 21 August. This was sheer bad luck as we had Reckoned on the enemy's gunners being blinded by the declining sun and upon the Turks trenches being shown up by the evening sun with singular clearness. Actually, we could hardly see the enemy lines this afternoon, whereas to the westward target stood out in strong relief against the luminous light. Was Hamilton's account the same as the extract from the official history referred to by Brad Steiger in 1967, the reference to a freak of nature and a strange mist, appears too similar to the incident witnessed by the Anzac soldiers to be unconnected. In my opinion, they confused an incident they witnessed during the attack on Hill 60 with the rumors they overheard about the disappearance of a British regiment during the battle. The troops they saw marching into the freak mist referred to by Hamilton were probably the Sherwood Rangers, but in the fog of war, their identity became confused with the first fifth Norfolks who had been wiped out in a feudal attack a week earlier. As the years passed, the two events became combined as one memory, and as Nigel McCrary noted, once the story had been told, it undoubtedly became embellished, and with each retelling over 50 years, it became totally confused. Okay, and then he... He sums it up here a little bit. I'll, just, I'll read a little bit more here, and then we'll talk about this. Well, actually, no, we're going to stop right there. See, here's the problem I have with this. Now, okay, this is great research. This is fantastic research, but it still doesn't solve anything. Okay, there could have been memories mixed up over what day it happened, over which regiment it was that disappeared. Yeah, and the Gallipoli campaign alone, right, for the British Empire, there were, over, there were almost 10,000 people missing or... Be, who became or who became prisoners of war? So I mean, the fog of war. There's a lot of things that you just you're not you're never going to figure out. But here's the problem I have with all of this, right? The problem that I have with the here's the thing: Clark nor any of these other researchers were there. They didn't see these strange clouds that Reichart and these and these other New Zealanders had seen that day. They, obviously, they had the date mixed up. They they thought he thought it was August twenty eighth. It turns out it was most likely August twenty first. Right? All right, so so they're basically saying that, but they they mixed up two different incidents that all all the people that were killed on the twelfth of August, uh and then this cloud on August twenty first. So he, and he, they mixed it up, and he came up also came up with the bat the wrong date of August twenty eighth, nineteen fifteen. But see, here's the problem I have with this. Right, there was a lot of people killed in the battle of in this Gallipoli campaign. It was a lot of people. There was uh, over just from the British Empire alone, there was over thirty-one thousand people killed, and again over over ninety-seven hundred people were missing or became POWs. So, with all of that in mind, I mean. You put that in mind, you don't know really what happened. But you have to stick with what the original story was. They actually, this guy and among others, saw this strange formation of clouds that looked like loaf of bread, uh, loaves of bread, just hovering in the sky and not moving, even though there was a breeze. They they watched, you know, from a distance, watched a whole bunch of other British soldiers walk into this strange cloud and they never came out the other side and then the next thing you know as the laughter the last few guys walked into that cloud then the cloud suddenly lifted off the ground and then joined the other clouds that were just hovering above it and then they all just floated away that's very strange to me I don't I think when you see here's the thing when you see something really strange and I'll start they're saying that because of 50 years went by these and the fog of war and all these other things that these guys oh they forgot about they don't they they, they mixed the whole thing up they might have mixed a little bit of stuff up right but when you see something like this you're never gonna forget that you are never ever ever going to forget it I will for instance I will never ever forget when I was a little kid waking up in the middle of the night and with the blanket over my head and knowing there was some sort of a being standing in the in, right by my bed that only had three hand, three fingers on its hand, hovering over my bed. I, I know that there was an extra. You know, I, I later on determined that it was extraterrestrial, but I'll never forget that entire experience. I will never ever forget the experience I had in 1994 when, uh, when me and my buddy were fishing in the middle of the night at at, at this pond off a lake in near Hazleton, Pennsylvania, and this. Craft this giant craft as as big as a house came floating to our position, made no sound whatsoever, and then moved off in another direction. When these kind of things happen, you never ever 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 forget. It stay, it's it's in branded into your memory. It's it's when there are important things in life that happen to you, those memories stick with you. You never forget them. They they're very strong. It's almost you could say like, even though I'm in my 50s now, these incidents, right, to me, these ones I'm talking about, the 1990, 90, excuse me, the 1994 and the 1977 incident, it's like they happened yesterday. Now, these guys, they were meeting in 1965 for the 50th anniversary of this uh, Gallipoli campaign, and this guy brought this up, and there was happened to be a UFO uh, investigator there who heard this story, and you know brought it to the public's attention it's an incredible story but those guys if something like that happened you have to, i i'd have to tend to believe that more than anything else you could forget everything else right I mean, you're gonna you're gonna remember if you're in a war, you're gonna remember a lot of different aspects of it. But when something really out of this world happens and you're a witness to it, that's something that's gonna stay in your memory for the rest of your life. Now, this signed affidavit, I mean, you could tell this was written by somebody who was of complete sound mind at the time. The guy remembered a lot of different things about it, and you would never forget that imagery. You would never forget something like that. You would think about it probably for every day for the rest of your life. It would pop into your head. So I don't think that that I think there's still even though that I say Clark did a great job again I, you have to check this story out for yourself it's really it, it's very complex there was a lot of different things going on in that with that campaign and uh, Gallipoli campaign and uh, during World War 1 so, and he he gets into a lot of it in that article. It's a great article. The guy's a great researcher, but I have to say this. I, I disagree with, with the conclusion. I mean, it could be. I'm not saying he's wrong. He could be right, okay? Maybe that's what did happen. But again, I have trouble with it. He doesn't prove it. It's not, there's not, nothing is proven here. That's what I'm saying. So, and the other thing is, is that these things happen. I was just going through, uh, there are strange kind of clouds, just Uh, For instance, I was just on the uh, National UFO Reporting Center website earlier today and I was looking at an image that was just shot by somebody uh, in, I believe it was Tennessee, last year, uh, of a strange kind of cloud uh, that was just hovering in the sky amongst other clouds that looked like it had tentacles coming out of it. He provided a a picture of it and it was very strange. There are things, there are things sometimes, I believe sometimes these objects could hide in clouds. Uh, in a way, actually, this whole incident, actually, the, the sound of it. I mean, okay, let's look at it again. I mean, this is how could you? Something like this happens. These, all these guys are on this hill. Okay, again, let's go through this again. All these guys are on, are, are above this hill, looking down at this little valley, right? And you see, and there's these strange clouds hovering. There's no other cloud in the sky except these, like you know, of several. uh, Loaf of bread-shaped clouds, all the same shape, right? And there's another one that's below them on the ground, the same shape, you know, and it's just sitting there. All these soldiers walk into this, you know, and from their perspective, they probably couldn't see the shape of it. If you're walking into something, let's just say it is extraterrestrial. From their perspective, they can't tell what's going on, right? Because to them, it's you know, you couldn't see that it was shaped like anything. You probably just thought it was fog or mist, you know, so you walk into it. But then after it seemed after the last few guys walked in there and disappeared inside of it, that's when it lifted off the ground and there was nothing coming out the other side, according to the witnesses. That's what they said they saw. Again, Clark's research is fantastic. He does a great job. He puts everything into perspective. And he does provide a potential explanation, a pot- potential prosaic explanation. And and his explanation may be correct. However, it's, it's not, again... I, I still have to again, based on my own experiences. This guy, this you know, who knows how old he was at the time? If he, you, have, you have to think, he's probably in his uh, uh, maybe he's only 19 years old at the time of the war, or maybe in his early 20s at best. Okay, he's a he's a sapper, a uh, uh, a military engineer basically. Okay, so he's he's a young man, and so 50 years go by, and so he's older now. So you think, oh well, he's older, maybe his memory's gone. But no, I, I don't see that. I mean, he he gave a really sound explanation sound uh recollection of what he remembered so i don't see that and again you just don't forget things like weird stuff like that when that happens that's going to stick with you for the rest of your life i don't care who you are right so I, I i just don't know if i agree with that now the one thing i will point out now there was a movie actually interestingly Uh, There was a movie that came out in 1958. It's called The Crawling Eye. Well, actually, it was called The Crawling Eye in the United States, but in... uh, It was actually uh, made in the UK, and in the UK, it was called the Trollenberg Terror. And basically, this movie involved these aliens hiding in clouds above mountains. Uh, And they were basically very horrible-looking things. They had tentacled, one-eyeballed, globular things hiding in clouds and Apparently they're uh, inv- uh, doing some sort of a climatization project to take over the planet. I'm not. It's never really made clear in the movie. It's actually a very good science fiction movie. But this this story reminded me of that. That, that you know what was in those clouds and what. Ha- let's just say that these these clouds did. Uh, those soldiers actually did walk into the clouds and were whisked whisked away. What I mean? What's the purpose of that? What happened to them? There's, you know, who knows, but it's it's just, it's something interesting to think about. Anyway, until next time.